Hi, my name is Caroline, and I'm so glad that you're joining us on our Grace Journey podcast. At Grace Church, we are all about knowing God and reflecting His way. I hope this sermon will do just that by feeding your mind with the knowledge of God and engaging your heart to live a life reflecting His grace and truth. So if you know me even just a little bit, you're going to know something about me right away, and that is I love football. I do. I love college football, go Gators, and I also love the NFL. Now, down in the South, it is expected that you love your college football team. That is your first and primary team down here in the South. You can like the pros, but you can't like them as much as you like your college team. Now, up north is different. Up north, you have your regional team that you have identified with probably at some young, impressionable age that you didn't really want to anyway, but you had to. And you picked your pro team, and that is your team for life. And you probably don't even know any college teams, because they're not very good anymore. <laughs> <laughs>
but it was no longer silly. And as long as, as, as far as fantasy football is a silly little game, that's fine, but who I am actually isn't silly at all. Who I choose to be is a very important discussion, particularly with God. In fact, he cared a lot more about that than I seem to care about it myself sometimes. And that got me thinking when Kyle confronted me. How did I get to this place? How did I get to this place where I thought I was better than all the other guys in my group that I've been playing with so long? Because you think that the older you get, the wiser you get, the smarter you get, that kind of arrogance would be worked out in your life, right? You think that. Even if it's just a game, you think, well, it's just a game. I can chill out a little bit. But it wasn't true for me. And when I found myself looking at my wiser, younger, more spiritually tuned son-in-law, I was reminded of who God wanted me to be. And I was embarrassed. But more importantly, I was appropriately humble. I was appropriately reminded that I'm not in this place, in that space, the person that God wanted me to be. And I should be that person in all my places and spaces. So again, how do we get to be that person? How do we get to that place where we think that we're better than someone else. How does that happen? Because I don't think it happens that we wake up one morning and we just decide, you know what, I'm better than everybody who goes to FSU. Or I'm better than anybody who didn't go to college. Or I'm better than uh, all those Republicans. Or I'm better than all those Democrats. I'm better than all Northerners. I'm better than all Mexicans. I'm better than anybody that I choose to call white trash. It doesn't happen with one decision. You just wake up and think that suddenly. It happens over time. With little decisions. That we begin to think of ourselves better than people, and then better than groups of people. In fact, I would argue it takes effort to think of yourself better than somebody else. You actually have to do research to think of yourself better than other people. And we are pretty happy to do that research. Because when we do that research, we then think we're smarter, holier, better than filling the blank. I would caution you, your iPhone is here to help you in that journey. The more you click on certain stories, the more you get of that story. And then it reaffirms your thoughts that you are better than whoever. So make no mistake. We do this. We are not forced to do this. We are not tricked into Because the people who heard this story for the first time, 
they knew automatically the Pharisee was actually probably the hero of the story. He was the guy you would have already liked. He was a religious and he was a moral success. He could come into the temple and he could pray, I am not like other men, extortioners and evildoers and adulterers. I tithe all that I take in. I fast twice a week. And if you had heard him say that, you would have been like, well, that's 100% true. That's the sober truth that guy is saying. Man, he is a paragon to do all of that. In business, his word would have been his bond. He would have never driven anybody else out of business because he knew that's not what God would have wanted him to do. When the Pharisee made a promise, you and I couldn't count it on that man. By any measure that you want to use, uh, either ancient or conventional, the Pharisee was a success. I mean, he fasted twice a week, you guys. The Old Testament only says you have to fast once a year, the Day of Atonement. He was doing it twice a week. Winner. He's killing it, this guy. He also said he tied all that he took in, which meant that he was tithing more than what God was asking him to tithe. Everything that he brought in, he was giving back to God, and that is hugely impressive. God was as real to him as the shekels in his pocket, and he was willing to lower his standard of living a bit to make sure that he honored God. Religion had done the Pharisee good. The people in his community respected him, they admired him as an outstanding person, and he was a contributor to his community. In Marion County, he would have been somebody that we would have been very happy to lift up as an example within our community. Even the tax collector knows how great this guy is. When he comes into the synagogue on the Sabbath, he stands apart from him because he knows, man, that Pharisee, he just did it all right. I'm getting everything wrong. I'm going to stand over here. He can be holy over there. I don't want my junk to rub off on him by accident. The Pharisee, they know. Before we rush to make the tax collector the hero of the story, let me tell you a few things about tax collectors, just in case you didn't already know this. Whenever Rome wanted to start a new taxing district, they would sell that right to someone in that area. And so the, the man with the highest bid on the ability to tax in this area would win it, and then he was free to tax that region as much as the traffic would bear. And usually the discovery was a lot more than he was required to pay to Rome. Doing business with a tax collector automatically meant that you were doing business with somebody who you knew by definition was corrupt. You knew they were corrupt. You had to stop by the desk when you left town to go take your goods someplace else, and when you got to town, there was another tax collector there waiting for you to gouge you with their prices. Extortion was built into the job description of the tax collector. Injustice was a part of their trade. And as I was trying to make a modern-day example, I didn't want to think of one, I didn't want to defame anybody this much. Okay? That's how I couldn't even think of a modern-day parallel. Because there's nobody this corrupt by definition in their job title. You may think so, say it for yourself. <laughs> in fact, this job was so looked down upon, the Roman historian Tacitus once told a story about how he entered a town, and in that town there was a monument. They had built a statue to an honest tax collector. That's how rare these guys were. Like, we found one, let's go to a statue. If 
guys are running for public office here on ballot, you would definitely vote for the Pharisee. If both these guys show up at your house to date your sister, you would be slipping the Pharisee some extra information. Make sure he was ahead of the game. Make sure that the uh, tax collector lost. So it is not so simple to discover why Jesus renders the verdict that he does. It is not easy why he takes our values. Pharisee is in the very presence of God. He's in church. And 
God is his comparison to other people. So, the Pharisee has one eye on himself, one eye on his neighbor, and no eye on God. So why did the Pharisee think of himself better than the tax collector? Culture, reason, maybe he knew when he was a jerk, I don't know. But I do know for sure that Jesus tells this story to the crowd around him, and also for us to hear again today. He wants us to hear the only antidote there is, and the only antidote to pride and to arrogance, to conceit, to the way in which sin has so corrupted and broken us. The only antidote I know to that humility given by God. Humility given through God. That's it. That's all I know. You can, everything else is window dressing. Everything else is just whitewashing who we already are. Because I know that when we really live in the presence of God, when we see who God is, when we see ourselves who we really are, the darkness in our own hearts, when we see our sin and we're honest about it, we're going to cry out. mercy and forgiveness. It's only then when we recognize how depraved we really are, and I'm not even recognizing it, when we're honest about how depraved we really are, it's only then that we understand how great God's forgiveness is. One of the great things about living in community, both in Ocala and Grace Church, but in a family, even in my fantasy football league, one of the great things about that is that we are doing life together. And we have an opportunity in those places that we do life together to bless each other by telling the truth. To bless each other by telling the truth. Not just about sounding conceited. That's not the big sin here. The big sin here is not recognizing brokenness. And we need to tell the truth to each other about how broken actually are, about how corrupted we are by our own pride and by our own arrogance. We need to stop judging ourselves better than Seminoles or Northerners or Latinos or Gabos. We're not any better than anybody else. We're not any less sinful than any group that you currently hate. So pick your group that you dislike. You're just like now you're not mad, you're not paying attention. <laughs> because the only antidote I know to that part inside of us is the forgiveness that Jesus Christ has offered to us through his death and resurrection from the cross. The only hope I have to give you today is that there is redemption, there is salvation and redemption of who you are. There is nothing else. Everything else is just plain. Using your word to make people think better of yourself. The more aware you are of your need, the more aware you will be of God's success in giving you grace and loving you. And yet also how far you've got yet to go. And that's where humility comes in. Realizing how far we can get to go. When you realize how much you have yet to go in your own humility, you will then say, okay, God, I had a friend who used to tell me that she was much better than she used to be. And she would say that 
uh, as a way in which to sort of say that she's making progress and things are coming along. And I appreciate that. In some truth, in some sense, that's true. But it's also a way that we can use comparison as a metric to stop trying to grow. When we start comparing ourselves to each other, well, then I'm better than other people. I can kind of chill out a bit. I haven't killed anybody today, so how bad can I possibly be? I'm better than I used to be when I killed people. God's standards, we're all broken. We're all broken. Everybody is lost. And the only antidote is His glory and forgiveness rediscovered every single day. The people that I know that live that way, they don't look down on anyone. They're constantly looking up at God. They don't have time to look down on anyone. They're looking up to Christ. And that, brothers and sisters, is humility. So what happens when we live what happens when this really comes to pass in our life? We stop, we start looking at God and looking less at ourselves, looking less at the people around us. Here's what I've seen. We begin to serve instead of pointing fingers. We begin to give instead of blaming those who haven't. We begin to listen instead of looking for opportunities to preach at other people. We begin to bless rather than scoff at people. We're very good at scoffing. We begin to love instead of being afraid. Serving, giving, listening, blessing, loving, these are five paths towards humility. You can take them all. We talk about that all the week. So here's a little test you can take right now. Who are the people in your life that have you? Who's that person? Whoever it is, you should go to them today and say, thank you. I owe you. Because you did something that other people weren't doing in my life. And if you don't think of anybody right on the top of your head, then you are in a mess. You've got some stuff to confess. And you darn well better go find somebody to help tell you the truth. We're the out of time. My son-in-law. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful. In a silly thing like fantasy football, which makes no difference in the world, he had the courage to come to me and say, this is what you want to do. So if you can't think of anybody, you need to go find that person. And if you have those people, hopefully more than one, please go to Jesus. Call them. Email them. Tell them how great they are for telling you how to continue to be humble. And not just be humble,
both the eyes on you. When you do that, then we'll be okay. Your name is Thanks again for listening. To find out more about what's going on here at Grace Church, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, our website, graceocala.org, or, of course, on our campus here in sunny Ocala, Florida. Go in peace.